0: Good morning, everybody. Good to be here with you. Anybody else enjoying that pollen and the headaches and the stuffiness? Yeah. 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 I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the rain this week to knock all that down. I'm not looking forward to the weeds that are going to come after. But you know. Blessings and curses, plots and lies. Um, That's what we're talking about today. Um, Before we get into that, though, I wanted to announce a little bit of a schedule change that's going to happen over the summer. Some of you may already know, some of you may not know, we have a midweek service on Thursday nights, which looks just like the service we have right now, and it happens at the same time that junior high and high school meet together. So we're going to be changing how that looks a little bit over the summer. This will in no way impact junior high or high school schedule. All of that will remain exactly the same. The service is going to shift to more of a community-feel aspect to it, so there's not going to be the normal um, worship time, um, message, um, prayer time afterwards. We're going to shift to the first Thursday of the month, we're going to have our all-church prayer gathering. The third Thursday of the month, we're going to do an all-church worship night, and then the two other Thursdays, the second and fourth, we're going to have a community potluck dinner time where you can just come out, bring your kids, bring your family, enjoy a meal with us and just this nice community time over the summer. So that'll begin in June and it'll go for the first three months of summertime out of our, our three out of five months of summer we get here. Um, and it's just a, just a nice time for us to get together um, and enjoy more of a community aspect. So if you have any Questions, any concerns, if you just don't like change and you want to let me know, please email me, joseph.more at Westheadham.com. Please do not rush me after the service. I am happy to hear everything that you would like to input and share, any concerns or anything. Um, it's just, it'll give me the best opportunity to be able to respond to any questions or anything that you bring to my attention. So that's coming up beginning in June. I want to give people lots of advance notice in these things. Um, we don't necessarily desire to move away from having a service. Um, we're just looking for a time that might better suit families' needs. Um, one of the things that's been really challenging about Thursday, it's really, really difficult to find consistent folks to, um, have a kids program. So that Thursday night has been difficult with anybody with kids under the age of 10. It's really hard to participate if they don't sit in service as well, like we're doing today. Um. And so we'd like to look for a time better in the week when we can actually incorporate the whole body at the same time um, as our body is growing and we want to be able to make that as feasible as possible for folks. So we've got a couple of things that we've talked about. Nothing is set in stone yet. Okay. Blessing, curses, plots, and lies. What could possibly go wrong? This is our topic today. Looking at Genesis 27. Um... And it actually, it's going to flow right out of the issues in Genesis 26. A lot of it is founded off of this particular um, prophecy that was given to Rebekah when she was pregnant with her twin boys, Jacob and Esau. So that prophecy is Genesis 25, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, "'Two nations are in your womb, "'and two peoples from within you shall be divided. "'The one shall be stronger than the other. "'The older shall serve the younger.'" And this passage is really a lot of this coming to fruition, all of the events that are going to kind of cause the division, cause things, these, these things to eventually happen. And so as I was discussing this with uh, people over the week and a couple of conversations after the Thursday night service, there's a couple other things that really do emphasize what's going on here. And one of them is this idea of justification. So justification big, fancy Christianese word we usually use. Um, it's talking, justification is talking about what makes you right before the Lord. What has wiped your slate clean? What has forgiven all of your debt, all of your crimes, anything against God is now in the past and is no longer remembered. You have been justified before God. And it is solely upon the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his sacrifice and God saying, it is enough. That alone is enough. It's not anything any of us have done, said, no intellectual assent. It is his saving work that justifies us before the Lord. That's not the justification I'm talking about, but that is a very important justification in your life. The justification I'm talking about is what we do in an attempt to excuse our actions. Self-justification, not justification that comes before God. When we look at the things in our life, the things that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we have that intellectual assent, this needs to happen so it makes what I'm doing okay. Self-justification is the issue of the day. And we're asking this big overarching question, do the ends justify the means? because so very often we convince ourselves that they do so many in the pe- people in the world convince themselves that they do this is for the greater good this outcome is surely what the lord were, will want he'll forgive us what we have to do to make that pass self justification excusing ourselves to act unrighteously under the pretense of righteous intentions And we must ask ourselves: do those ends really justify those means? And that's what we're going to look at today. And the other thing that was talked about was interesting, something that Chuck brought up at the end of Thursday night service. He asked this question, where was God in any of this? We look at this whole passage, but it's not actually the idea of like God didn't show up. It's the idea that nobody will once in this entire passage go before God and ask a question. No one will pray to the Lord and say, hey, what should we do in this? Is this a good idea? Everything we're reading in this passage is human means, human ideas, human schemes, fulfilling their destiny in the way that they see fit. And could that possibly lead to issues in someone's life? So Genesis 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die couple of interesting things here. He is somewhere between the age of 100 and 160. There's not actually a lot of indicators that give us anything more precise than that, other than he will live to be 180 years old, and Jacob is gonna go on a 20, at least a 20 year journey, that's actually even in speculation, at least a 20 year journey after today. So he is somewhere between the age of 100, which is when Esau gets married, and 160 in order for this time frame to work. See, he's he's not by any means young. And I've tried to consider at this point, he's also can't see. His eyes have grown dim. And so he's at this point where generally with people, when they have eyesight early on in their life, and it diminishes. Only 15% of people actually lose 100% of their sight and have that true blindness idea. Most people, they have what's called either macular, de- macular degeneracy, is when spots and things start developing their eyes. And imagine just putting your hands here and everywhere you look, there's that block. And so you can still see stuff around it, but it's, it's really heavily impairing your vision. And then other people have cataracts, where everything becomes so blurry and so opaque that just nothing is clear anymore. And it seems by the idea of eyes growing dim, it's, that's more likely the case of what's going on here, is that he just everything is now fuzzy in the world, and he's bedridden. So he's got nothing but time to think about his own life and how old he's, be, he's gotten. I've wondered if this happened around the time that his brother passes away. His brother will pass away, Ishmael, at the age of 137, which would make him 124 years old or just about. And if you're bedridden blind and your brother just died and you're 124 years years old, it's likely you're going to think about your mortality at this point. So he's calling his son in and saying, hey, I might die at any point. I mean, I feel like I'm on death's door. Um, And so I need to bless you but I'm not in that much of a hurry. I think you can actually, you can go get me some good food ahead of time, <laughs> which is an interesting note that we're going to talk about with Isaac's character in a couple of minutes here. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I hear, heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and I com- as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. And I read that and I thought, there should be some really big red flags for us here with what's going on. This isn't just the two competing kids, two competing families. This is the same mom of both children. Both Twin children. They came at the same day, around within minutes or a couple hours of each other. And she is chosen to completely rob one of his birthright to give to the other. I was just thinking, how on earth could a mother get to this point with her son that she would do that to one of them? And so I had to try to think and do some deducing. We're going to actually go on a little bit of a hunt here. What on earth could she do this for? And so we have to first look at what is she hoping that Jacob gets instead of Esau? What is this blessing that she wants him to have? Now, there are different kinds of blessings. You can just bless someone with good health or long life or good success in their endeavors, but that's not what this is. That's not this particular blessing. This is the blessing of preeminence. There are two things that a father gives to his children. One is property, which is the birthright, and the other is the blessing. Now he can give multiple blessings, but the really important one is this one of preeminence. Who will be in charge when dad passes away? Who's gonna lead the family from here on out? And Isaac has chosen Esau to have this. It's not guaranteed to that oldest son, but it almost always goes to them. So Rebecca does not think that Esau should be in charge. Why is this? Why, should, why does she think Jacob should be in charge over Esau? Is it purely just favoritism, or is there any reason to what she's doing? So let's look back into the scriptures. So we don't have to go back very far to get the first reason. We go back to the very end of the last chapter when Esau marries two Hittite women who are said to have made life miserable for Isaac and for Rebekah. It grieves them daily, These two women and whatever they are inputting into their family. There's not a large description, but they're making life miserable for them. They're making life bitter. And anybody who is married understands that your spouse is your number one confidant and advisor. They're the one that is going to have your ear the closest, they're the ones that are going to be influencing you the most. And so if these two women are making Their lives absolutely miserable now. What's going to happen if Esau's in charge? How much worse might things get? Strike one. Continue back through the passages, through time, when we have the interaction between Jacob and Esau, and when Jacob gets Esau's birthright, the property that he's going to inherit is traded for a bowl of stew. So any of the material gains, anything that dad would have had physically... All is going to Jacob now, and that was traded for a bowl of stew. Esau's a bit short-sighted and isn't valuing the things of the family that actually are going to sustain the family. Strike two. Go back a little bit farther. Esau's profession is that of a hunter. There's nothing wrong with a hunter. He goes out, he gets game, he puts food on the table, but that's not the family's profession. The family are herdsmen and they raise crops. This is what's sustaining their entire household, which is going to be a lot more people than the immediate family we talk about. And he doesn't do that. And he doesn't seem to care about that because he traded it all away. Where on the other hand, you have Jacob. Jacob is shrewd and calculated and understands the worth of things. Jacob is actually an excellent herdsman and is so good at it one could say that he is blessed by the Lord in his endeavors. He has chosen to dwell in tents, he has chosen to take over what the family business is doing, and he's not impetuous. He's not hasty in what he does. Him and his brother are the same exact age, and he's not married yet. He has not chosen a choice of opportunity or impatience. He's chosen to wait. So by all means, if we look at this purely analytically and we take out the fact that these are people and family, Esau does not seem like a good choice to lead. And Jacob seems like, from a very business sense, the obvious choice to lead. Does that justify stealing what is rightfully Esau's? They seem to think so. and a lot of people get into that same spot because it's actually easy to look at it when we're reading an account of something that happened, but to live in that moment and know that dad is going to give it to him. He's going to run the family business into the ground. We can't let this happen is what they're experiencing because then we look at Isaac himself. Isaac should know all these things. He's been around. Why would he make this choice? And that is actually something that's told to us to, in scripture. Why Esau, Isaac favors Esau? Because Isaac, like most men, thinks with his stomach. <laughs> Genesis 25, 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. He chose Esau over Jacob because of the food he put on the table. Because he loved the fresh game. It's this dad going, oh, the food is so good. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, Esau, he does the balsamic glaze, and the reduction. It's all so nice. It's amazing. Esau, my boy. (laughs) Oh, my boy. I mean, anybody that does that, he's got to be in charge. I mean, come on, my boy. That is not good decision-making skills. That is not wisdom. But that is what he's doing. And he has the power to do it and the authority to do it. And so you have people in his family that are thinking, this is such a terrible idea, but he's going to do it anyways. We have to somehow stop this. But Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. "'Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me.' "'So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, "'and his mother prepared delicious food "'such as his father loved. "'Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, "'her older son, which were with her in the house, "'and put them on Jacob, her younger son. "'And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands "'and on the smooth part of his neck, "'and she put the delicious food and the bread "'which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. "'So he went to his father and said, "'My father!' And he said, "'Here I am. Who are you, my son?' So initially, he understands this is one of his kids, but he's not sure which one. And there's no reason for him to be suspicious at this point because he's just coming in and saying hello. And now, before I get into the next part of the passage, I want to give it a little bit of a preamble here on what our mind does when we're not given enough information in a situation. You're given a little bit of description, and then your mind will fill in the blanks. And so I found a caricature of what somebody thought Jacob and Esau might look like. Now, this is humorous, but it fits in all of the details that they gave us. Jacob looks like a shrewd man with that pointy nose and the pointy beard and that little sideways eye, and you can tell he's got a scheme up his sleeve. And Esau is red-haired and hairy, man of the field, man of the sword, man of the bow, and all he's thinking about is that delicious bowl of soup that's in front of him. And that's what our mind does to some degree. It may not have been exactly like this, but I doubt you thought they were identical. They are twins, but they're described different from birth. The reality is they probably look very, very similar. Very similar in build, very similar in height, very similar in demeanor and how they move about. And the reason I believe that is because what we're about to read is that his father is indeed going to Grasp his son, he's going to embrace his son, he's going to test these things. And if you look at me, I'm a very slender beanstalk sort of build. If I gave you a hug and then Matt gave you a hug, you would know immediately the difference. Matt is muscular and strong, he's a mighty man. I am not. You can tell the difference when you give somebody a hug. If you go and shake someone's hand or even touch their hand for any reason, someone who works construction, their hands are callous, their hands are strong. You know, when you grab their grip, you go, ah, they're not trying to do that. They just can't help themselves. <laughs> you know the difference right away between somebody who works at a desk. There's just a reality to it. They very likely look extremely similar in appearance, aside from the hairiness, aside from that Jacob is not red-haired and Esau is. So here is the account Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Oh. Uh. <laughs> then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Esau's father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like the brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled of the garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give of you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you? This is a movie. This is when the thunder and lightning would happen outside, and you're the da 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 The blessing has gone out, and it is irrevocable. Why is it an irrevocable blessing? I have no idea. But it is presented to us in such a way that once the Father gives that blessing, the only one that can rescind that is God. It is now out of the hands of man. It was his to give. He had a right to give it to whoever he wished. It was of his will and volition to do so. But now it's gone, and it belongs to Jacob. And Jacob is a liar. (laughs) Jacob was asked point blank three times a true-false question, and he deliberately answered in the false every time. This isn't an illusion. This isn't a half-truth. This isn't skating around it. He deliberately lied and this is a huge character fault that will have to be dealt with and God will deal with Jacob in this. But when we have that moments where you get that kind of something is off sort of feeling, which clearly Isaac had, he was suspicious from the beginning. Something's not quite right. That's called discernment, it's a gift from the Lord. Lean into it. Discernment is a good thing. Questioning things is a good thing. Verifying is a good thing. If someone gets upset because you wanna verify, they're probably trying to trick you. If they're not trying to trick you, they're gonna tell you, yeah, that's fine, absolutely. I would do the same thing, because it's wise to double check something, particularly when you feel something's off. It's not genuine. Something's not right here. And I questioned this and I thought, why didn't the most obvious thing happen? Why when he was feeling off, didn't he just say, hey, go get your brother so you both can witness this. And that has sorted it all out. But he didn't do that because clearly he's not always thinking. He's probably smelling the food. I really want to believe it. It's right there. Most of this seems right. Okay. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't be taken in. Don't buy into the lie that you know isn't true simply because there's something you want on the other side of it. And so, what has happened here is that now Jacob has received the blessing of Abraham. This is the blessing of Abraham from Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor you. And who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's being a part of the blessed line. Not every child of all these people in this lineage will be a part of that blessed line that will eventually lead to King David. King David will have prophesied over him um, that he is going to have the Messiah from his line, that he will always have a seat on the throne, and that from him will come Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, Savior of the world. That is what Jacob has been given. He may not even realize that's what he's got. But it is, it's the most important thing that actually happens here, whether they realize it or not. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn. Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. And what's interesting here is that aside from that initial, who are you, which I would more ascribe to shock in the moment He never questions who Esau is. He doesn't say, hey, come close that I can feel your hands. Hey, come close that I can smell your garments. Hey, come close that I can see if you're hairy or not. No, he hears Esau's voice and immediately knows this is the genuine article. This is the genuine thing. This is what's real and not false. And when we encounter what is genuine, we recognize it just as quickly. Anyone, so a real world example, anyone that has experienced any time handling money, if I give you a counterfeit bill and a real bill, you can immediately tell the difference between the two. You know the one that you're familiar with, they know the one that is true, the one that is right, versus the one that's, wow, they did a really good job with the picture, but this paper is awful. You know the difference between what is genuine and what is not. And that's actually the heart of the verse when we go to John ten twenty-seven, when Jesus says, they are my sheep and they hear my voice and they follow me. The idea that those follow after Jesus know that he is the genuine thing. He is Lord Almighty. He is the Savior. He is the one we follow, and we know his voice. But does that happen immediately? How long does it take for you to actually understand what is genuine and what is not? Because if you would never touched money before in your life, and I handed you two bills and said, tell me which one is fake, how would you know? unless you had spent time becoming familiar with what was true and genuine and right. And so if we want to know God's voice when it's genuine, when it's true, and immediately recognize who he is, we have to spend time becoming familiar through his word, through prayer, that time spent with the Lord. So you know these are the kind of things that God says. These are the kind of ways God says it. And then when he speaks to you, you know it's him or you know it's not. It takes time, though. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, oh, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, "'Is he not rightly named Jacob? "'For he has cheated me these two times. "'He took away my birthright, and behold, "'now he's taken away my blessing. "'Then he said, "'Have you not reserved a blessing for me?' "'Isaac answered and said to Esau, "'Behold, I have made him lord over you, "'and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, "'and with grain and wine I have sustained him. "'What then can I do for you, my son?' Esau said to his father, "'Have you but one blessing, my father?' "'Bless me, even me also, O my father?' And Esau lifted up his voice and wept." So there's two things here. There's the birthright and there's the blessing. The birthright is property. And it would have been divided amongst a man's sons. However many sons there were, there'd be one more portion. If there's seven sons, eight portions. If there's two sons like this, three portions the eldest son always got two of those portions because he was expected to take care of his mother and his sisters until his sisters were married and to be able to give them a dowry and a sustenance and his mother until she passed away. So he needed the extra resources to manage those things. That's the expectation of the birthright. The blessing. There isn't just one blessing. Preeminence is part of it, but there's many accounts we have where a father blesses all of his children in different ways. You go back to Noah, he had three sons, two of them received a blessing, one of them a curse for what he had done. You're going to look at Jacob later on, and we're going to see that of his 12 sons, they all get a blessing or a curse, depending on how they had interacted with the family. There isn't just one blessing, but here we can deduce that Isaac has given everything to Jacob, meaning he had intended to give everything to Esau and nothing to Jacob. That was his intent. And it brings to light a little bit of an idea of when we're asking these questions, how could these people have gotten to this point to treat each other this way? How could we begin with, how on earth could Jacob do this to his brother? How on earth could Jacob do this to his father? Knowing now that his father was essentially gonna do the same thing to him. I'm gonna give you nothing I'm gonna give your brother everything. How did they let their family get this way? Their family, this is mother, father, twin brothers. But it can, and it does. Unless we're willing to make a change in our life to make sure that it doesn't continue in that direction. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes humility. But we have to make the endeavor and seek God's face in that. If we just go by our own desires and wants and actions, life gets this way, and it becomes very unfortunate for families, and it tears them apart. It's going to tear this family apart. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. But your sword shall live, and you shall serve your brother, But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So we have a map here. Most of this blessing is actually talking about where Esau and his descendants are going to live. So Judah and Israel, the green and pinkish space, is actually going to be all of Jacob's descendants. They get the promised land. Esau's descendants live here in Edom. And if you go and look at photos of Edom, it is dry, it is arid, it is rocky, and it is mountainous. And it's everything his father just described. And he's actually going to voluntarily go there later on in his life. Um, But the other part of the blessing actually isn't intended for the boys of this time. Esau will never himself serve Jacob. He will never bow down before him. Actually, it happens the other way. Jacob will end up giving deference to Esau. But that part of the blessing isn't for them, it's for their descendants. Because when Israel becomes a kingdom and Edom becomes a kingdom, Edom does end up paying tribute to Israel. They do end up serving Israel. And it's not until Israel becomes divided and the opportunity to, um, to break free is there that Edom rebels and establishes their own kingdom again that is being talked about within this blessing. But we have to think um, long-term in these things, and a little bit different than the literal, this is for this particular person, oftentimes a blessing is for the generations that come after them. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son, and said to him, "Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while, until your brother's fury turns away, till your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Any of you are going to forget that? No. <laughs> then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebecca said to Isaac, "I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me?" End of chapter. <laughs> consequences, consequences of choice. I, re- as I'm reading through this chapter, I just kept thinking, "What are this? What's going to happen tomorrow?" What are they going to do tomorrow? This happened today, but tomorrow they gonna be like, oh, you got one over on me. No, there's serious consequences that are going to come from this. What were they thinking? Proverbs eleven twenty three: the desire of the righteous ends only in good. The expectation of the wicked in wrath. The result of the actions here is wrath. The wrath of Esau against Jacob. Jacob's going to have to flee for his life. They're trying to do it in such a way that he's not banished, and so that's why Rebecca is now trying to manipulate Isaac to send him away. But he's going to flee for his life for the next 20 years. His mother will never send for him. The only reason he's going to end up leaving is things get so bad in Haran that he feels he has to depart from there now. While he's there, he's going to be lied to, he's going to be cheated, he's going to be taken advantage of. He's going to learn what it's like to be on the receiving end of this from good old Uncle Laban. (laughs) A price will be paid for the actions we take, whether for righteousness or whether for wickedness. There is no middle line to ride. There's no neutral life where I'm just going to skate down the middle right here. God says we always have a choice to go either to the left or to the right one or the other which leads us back to that original question do the ends justify the means was the ends the desire to make sure that esau would never be in charge that he wouldn't take over anything to get all of the blessing do any of this justify what's happened when we look at our lives do the ends lie cheating stealing slandering rumors, gossips, anything to undermine or to bring about someone else's downfall or your rising up, does it ever justify? No. 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 It doesn't matter how bad a leader you think they would be, how much you don't think they should be in charge, how much you think that the people putting them in charge just aren't looking at the facts, how much you think you deserve that more than they do, or someone else deserves that more than they do. They would be so much better than that. I deserve that so much more than they do. I need it so much more than they do. It never, ever justifies choosing wickedness over righteousness. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 4. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And there's really nothing more to that that I can say. But we look at that, we look at the comparison to this family, and we go, these were awful people that did awful things to each other. How on earth could you have chosen them, Lord? And there's so often in scripture that I've asked that question, why on earth them? Is that, is that really the best? But that's not why God chooses people. He doesn't choose people because they're the best. He chooses people that are broken, that are fallen, that are sinful, and he redeems them to show his power, his might, and his glory. And it should be a great encouragement to all of us that he will use us too. Out of Matthew 9, 10 through 13, it says, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." The righteous are the ones that are already saved. If you're here to save people, you need to get to the people that aren't saved. When you're riding around in the lifeboat, you're not serving the people in the lifeboat. You're looking for people in the water. That's good. You're looking for the people that are not in a position to help themselves. They're dying, they're lost, they need you, and they're gonna be wet and dirty and stinky and difficult. They're going to try to capsize the boat as they get into it. But that's who we're called to. And every one of us are invited to come to Christ exactly as you are. But you are not invited to stay as you are. You will be, the slate will be wiped clean. You will be forgiven. You will be justified. But then the expectation from that point forth is sanctification. You will continue to grow from this point on more and more into the likeness of Christ until you meet him face to face, whether he arrives or you depart. Yes. You can come exactly as you are. Exactly as you are, you are worthy, says the Lord. But when you accept that free gift of salvation, you are expected to actually follow him each and every day. And those of us that have accepted Christ and known his grace and his mercy and his love and his tenderness and his good discipline understand that his ways are so much better than ours. Amen? Would you stand with us?